college football fans. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back. Another edition of CFI College Football Impact on the CFP podcast. I am your co-host, Chappie, here in Michigan, joined, as always, by Mr. Mike Waxman in Columbus, Ohio, and Mr. Pat Sullivan in Boston, Mass. Um, sorry, sorry, that was that was no justice to the beautiful Boston accent. I, I do speak from the heart that uh, I've got to go back because Aside from all the beauty that is Boston, Massachusetts and the New England area, and of course you, um, the king of Boston, I think that the Boston accent is one of the uh, my most favorite accents, and I, and I speak absolute truth there. There is no tongue-in-cheek to that whatsoever. So, uh, Sully, how are you doing tonight? Well, I'll tell you what, Chappie, I appreciate that, but you can come back out when, uh, when BC has their duck bowl parade next year for winning the ACC championship. You can come out and you can, uh, and I'll show you around the bean a little bit. We'll go to Cheers, have a nice pint, and uh, and show you the heights over where BC's campus is. I love it. I love it. Um, count me in, man. And and yeah, uh, I think with uh, what Jeff Halfley's got going on over there, and with uh, Phil Dracovic coming back next season, I think that that's a lot closer uh, to reality than most people might think, especially given the fact that you know Clemson's got some reshuffling that they're doing with their talent and their coaching staff. So. Uh, Wax, let's go over to you from the, uh, I don't want to call it the great state of Ohio because, you know, I, I need to be convinced of the greatness that is that four letter state. And, um, I'm not speaking ill of it, but any experience I've had through Ohio, it's, it's a lot of flatland cornfields, um, or just, you know, uh, kind of old school factory buildings and whatnot, not that Michigan is much better. So I'm not putting this state above yours, but, uh, tell us, uh, what makes you smile tonight, Wax. Um, well, and I, I will actually agree with you. Ohio is not great. There are parts of it that are very entertaining. Cleveland with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Columbus with OSU, and Cincinnati with all the stuff it has to do down by the river and all that. So, But yes, generally, I agree with you. Ohio is not very exciting. It was just kind of a happenstance of birth. I didn't have a choice. Right, um, right. As far as what makes me smile, I'll tell you what makes me frown. I just found out Jacob Cowing from UTEP entered the portal. He's one of my favorite G5 guys. Yeah. And I do think he should be on a bigger stage. So um, I, I, I guess it, it's good for him. But uh, this time of year, basically, I'm happy because we don't have any snow right now. We're going to be traveling this weekend to visit my sister in Philadelphia. It doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot of snow there. I'm one of these... Let it snow on Christmas Eve and Christmas, white Christmas, and then yep. let it all go away. So I don't mind cold weather. I don't like snow, mostly because I'm not a kid and I don't get out of school when it snows a ton. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. I Give me the snow right up until December 25th, and then after that, take it away and, and bring on the springtime, the summer, and honestly, speed me up and get me back to fall because, in my opinion, Football aside, the, the weather in fall is, is reason to have it claimed as the best season of all. Yes. So let's get to our news and notes. And, um, you know, because we want to talk a little bit more about the, the bowl week that happened this past week or half week, I guess. And then all the games coming up. We've got one going on right now, which uh, the, the current look is making me happy. But we'll get more into that. Um, Tyler Linderbaum, the Remington Award winner for best state or best center in the country has made an even better name for himself, raising over $30,000 for the Iowa Children's Hospital. So for those of you who are familiar with Iowa football, and you know that, you know, that's one of the great traditions of waving to the children at the Iowa Children's Hospital. Mr. Linderbaum has used his name image likeness to help raise over 30k for these kids. I think that's an awesome, awesome story. Did it around restrictions, did it without many knowing. I mean, so this is clearly a case of he's not about, you know, me, 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 look at me, pay me for my name, pay me for my greatness. He knows that he's hopefully going to have a profitable career in the NFL, but he's using his name and image likeness for good. And, and that's one of the aspects of what I like about this uh, particular uh, allowance. And we're going to get into this in our cover four segment on our thoughts on NIL, but love to see that from uh, Linderbaum. Um, you know, you talk about the transfer portal wax. So, Aside from Jacob Cowing from UTEP leaving the minors potentially and putting himself in the portal looking for maybe greener pastures, we also see 
Virginia Tech quarterback Braxton Burmeister. This is his second entry in the portal. Remember, he started out at Oregon, um, played this last season at Virginia Tech, and Justin Fuente, it was well documented that he said that Burmeister was the best athlete on the entire team. Well, if that's the case, then somebody should be benefiting from his services. Casey Thompson, quarterback from Texas, has entered the portal. Shane Simon, a linebacker, strong safety type from Notre Dame. Jared Wiley, a tight end from Texas. Ryan Swoboda, a, a potential all-conference, maybe even all-American offensive tackle from the University of Virginia. And then Andrew Van Buren from Boise State. These were just some of the big names from this week. We know that there's been others that we talked about uh, a week ago, and there will be more certainly coming up, especially once bowl season and bowl games wrap up. Uh, but any thoughts on Linderbaum and then some of these guys entering the portal, uh, gentlemen? Well, the Linderbaum thing, I really, I, I agree with you. That's a great thing. Tory Taylor kind of did the same thing, although it was for a different reason. He's an international player, and I guess there is a rule that it would interfere with their visa being over here. They actually can't get the money, but Tory Taylor did a similar thing for charity. I can't remember if it was for the hospital in Iowa or something else. If you're an international student, I guess if you get it, it has to go to charity. You can't do an agreement to do um, like an advertisement or a product promotion. You have to kind of do it for charity. So it sounds like the Iowa guys, Kirk Ferentz, has a lot of really uh, altruistic guys on that team. And that's great to see. And that is really the essence and what I would like NIL to be a little bit more about. And again, don't want to get too much into it because we're going to talk in a later segment, but, um, but yeah, I mean, Linderbaum, obviously great player. Sounds like he's a great young man and he will be someone that I root for in the NFL because I only root for random guys. Cause I don't watch the NFL. Yeah. And, and I'm right there with you. Um, Sully, any, any thoughts on, on Linderbaum's story or about some of the guys going into the portal or before we get to you, Sully, uh, just kind of quickly, because um, I know that this is uh, a couple of things we talked about off air, guys that have landed at new spots with the transfer portal. So Bo Nix, I think, is the biggest name going from Auburn to Oregon. Uh, a former Oregon receiver, Micah Pittman, who is the son of Michael Pittman um, of NFL fame as a running back, he leaves Oregon to go to Florida State and join Mike Norvell. Um, Dayon Henley, a linebacker from Nevada, who was an all-conference in Mountain West, He's leaving the Wolfpack to go to Washington State. And then Max Johnson, the former quarterback at LSU, put himself in the portal and has landed with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. So those are some of the big names. Sully, any thoughts on, on the comings and goings with the portal or uh, anything else that's that's crossing your mind there in Beantown? Yeah, so just real quick to add on what you guys are saying about Linderbaugh, I, I think more than anything that's a, a reflection on Kirk Ferentz and the type of values that he has in that program, right? I think – you know, the whole waving in the children's hospital is one of the coolest things that you see on, on a Saturday. And, you know, Kirk really sparked a lot of that. And he is just such, seems like just such a great guy. And I think the players feed off that. And, uh, you know, you always hear Dabo Sweeney say, it's more important that these guys leave the, leave the program with uh, as men and as respectful and gentlemen men, as opposed to just going to the NFL. And I think Kirk does uh, as good of a job as anybody is making sure that, you know, whether they go to the NFL or not, that they're prepared for life and that they're going to be prepared the right way. So, uh, tip of the cap to the player, but also to the coach in that one. Uh, you know, I, what, what kind of sparked my interest, and I don't remember if this was on last week's show or this week's show, but I know we didn't touch on it, is Spencer Rattler. We, we thought he was going to UCLA. We thought he was going to, you know, another school in the SEC. And he ends up going to South Carolina, which is which is a pretty cool story. Uh, obviously, you know, playing with Shane Beamer. But, uh, you know, I was kind of – you know what? You guys know me. I love anarchy. I want to see the craziest, most wild situation happening. I was really hoping somehow Sarkeesia was able to flip him over to Texas. I thought that would have been really cool if he now all of a sudden yeah. lined up against Oklahoma uh, right. or if he went out west and played against, you know, Lane Kiffin over at USC. Uh, but you know what? It's, it's going to be fun watching him in the SEC. Uh, I don't want to say he got a bad rap at Oklahoma. I think that the fans kind of put a lot of pressure to, to move him out of that position. And uh, while not the biggest Spencer Rattler guy, I do think he's still a hell of a quarterback and a hell of an athlete and, uh, you know, South Carolina showed a lot of grit last year and, and won some games that they really shouldn't have and been in some games that we didn't think they would have. So I think he's going to be a great fit there. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, South Carolina bowling next season. Uh, I'm not going to say bowling are better because I don't think they can get better than bowling. But uh, I could see them winning seven games next year with Spencer Rattler. And 
while he's not giving the Heisman contention, I think that's that's gonna be great for his pro prospects. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely think. I mean, South Carolina just narrowly missed a bowl game this year. Um, and uh, or, or correct me if I'm wrong. Did they make a bowl, gentlemen? I, I we're playing North Carolina head. in the Duke's. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. My, so my apology to Gabe. How can you forget fans. about the Duke's Mayo Bowl? Uh, yeah. Right. I know. Well, all I can picture is the first weekend of the year and that that uh, shirtless. Uh, Chubby yes. guy who is who is dumping mayo all over his face and, and just downing. I mean, I, I still kind of vomit in my throat a little bit when I think about that. But um, yeah, Duke's and you mayo, know what baby. the Duke's mayo bowl or whatever the belt bowl used to be. That's one of the more entertaining bowl games of the season, I feel like. And it's always got kind of those uh, middle of the road teams that, you know, I, I remember Kentucky played in, I think, the last year, the year before. And it was a great game. Virginia yeah. Tech played in it. You know, it's always kind of those teams that have name recognition. They're always uh, power five teams. And I think it's really cool that you get North Carolina against South Carolina in this one. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, I, I think it, you know, it, it should be a rivalry. I don't know why it, it doesn't get played more often, but that it's going to be a really cool game to watch. And, and I think Sam Howell's still playing. I think they got a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seniors on both sides. I love this whole story about South Carolina versus North Carolina. That could be one of the more intriguing games uh, to watch in the bowl season. Cause you know what? Some these guys aren't just playing for, uh, you know, like an Idaho potato ball where they're paying for, you know, playing for a trophy potatoes. These guys are playing for, for a lot of pride too. So that might be a game where you get more intensity uh, for any of the non New Year's six bowls out of anyone you want to see this season. Yeah. And big, big recruiting battle uh, with that bowl game as well. And more so than people might give it credit for, uh, you know, speaking of other uh, player movement and whatnot, we've got some more entries in the NFL draft, Brees Hall from Iowa uh, tight end Jalen Weidemeyer from Texas A&M joining Isaiah Spiller, both of them entering the draft. Uh, return specialist extraordinaire and cornerback Marcus Jones from Houston, who will not play in their bowl game against Auburn. He's going into the draft. Sincere McCormick from UTSA. Uh, they play later tonight. Zachary Carter from the University of Florida, defensive end, and then Letty Brown running back from West Virginia. Those are just some of the recent additions into the the NFL draft entry. And again, that that list is going to continue to grow more and more as as more and more bowl games fall by the wayside. And then in some coaching news, USC, uh, a good hire for them, and a little bit of a surprise to me, they lure offensive line coach Josh Henson from Texas A&M. They snag him from Jimbo Fisher, and he will now be the offensive coordinator for Lincoln Riley at USC. Now we can imagine that Riley will call the bulk of the offensive plays, but at least in title and, and giving the uh, the USC Trojans a more of a uh, offensive line presence. I mean, it was a little bit of a surprise to some people that Bill Biedenbaugh, the famed offensive line coach in Norman, Oklahoma, did not go with Riley there. He stayed as a Sooner and good for him and good for the Sooners, but um, a pretty good uh, consolation prize, if you want to call it that, with Josh Henson going to uh, to South L.A., Auburn has hired offensive coordinator Austin Davis, who is the quarterback's coach from the Seattle Seahawks, working with Russell Wilson. So he'll be calling the plays as Mike Bobo was let go. And then Mike Sanford, in a head-scratcher for me, has been named the offensive coordinator at Colorado. Now, Sanford was fired from Minnesota by P.J. Fleck after just a year. Um, you know, the, the offense was not humming the way that they, they had hoped, and now he lands another offensive gig in Colorado. And, and it seems to me that anywhere that Sanford has gone as a play caller, I've heard more complaints than I have, you know, positive things and seen positive things, but, you know, maybe him hooking up with Carl Durrell in Boulder could, could spell some, some positive stuff out there. All right, Wax, uh, you know, nothing is trivial about you, but uh, we do want you to hit us with your trivia question. It's a, it's a weekly tradition and y- you got Sully and I, in a decent way last week. So let's see if you reign supreme or if Sully and I can get back on the, the trivia gig here. All right. In keeping with the uh, bowl centered theme that we're trying to do for this postseason, um, there are five current FBS coaches have won at least 10 bowl postseason games. Name at least three of the five. One is a slam dunk. Nicholas Saban. Uh, yes. A couple of the others, if you think about it, they're pretty easy. And one actually surprised me when I was doing this research. I know Kyle Whittingham is another one from Utah. Yes. Mac Brown. And there you go. Saban, yeah. Brown, and Whittingham. The other two are Mike Gundy, which surprised me that he's gotten to 10. And Dabo has 10. 
Gavel has ten. Okay, I was I was curious about that. Yeah, I think I remember seeing Gundy's number, and I was like, well, okay, he's been there for a decent amount of time. Uh, but yeah, Mac Brown, um, that was one that um, you know, looking back, it, it totally makes sense. So good job, Sully. Here's a the here's all time leaders. The all time leaders are, of course, Joe Pa and Bobby Bowden. The only two so far to go over twenty. 24 yep. and 22. Yep. That is correct, sir. Nice and it helps, being in, it helps being an independent because those guys were for a long time. Correct. That's right. Well, um, whether you're independent or whether you belong to a conference, uh, we're going to take a look at these conferences. So segment two here, our, our second quarter, if you will, conference calls. It's something where we like to go through and kind of just touch on any and all conference news and notes uh, specific to some of these power five, and then also giving our group of five some love as their own separate entity. But I'll start it off, gentlemen, in, you know, with, with the bowl season right now, a lot of our power five schools have not played yet, but in the PAC 12, there's been one game so far. And sadly for the PAC 12 and their followers, they dropped that game. So Oregon state fell to Utah state out of the mountain West mountain West, by the way, two and zero in bowl season so far uh, looking like they're about to go to three and zero if Wyoming can hold on against Kent state. I haven't checked that score recently, but they were up, I think two scores when we started the, the podcast here, but getting back to Oregon state, uh, you know, watching that game, it was, it was frustrating because I had picked Oregon state and it just seemed like they just could not get over that hump. They, they would move the ball down the field and, and would sputter inside the 30-yard line. So I'm not even saying necessarily red zone uh, failures, but just inside the 30, there was a missed field goal. Uh, you know, B.J. Baylor was held to 78 yards rushing on 18 carries. Chance Nolan did a good job spreading the ball to his receivers. He was 21 of 30 for 263 yards, but didn't throw a single touchdown and had one interception that was costly. They also had a fumble late in the game that um, kind of dropped their chances of of doing anything. So, you know, here was Oregon state. I thought that they were going to be a team that uh, was kind of catching Utah state with a lot of momentum and Jonathan Smith getting that contract extension. I thought that the Beavers would get the PAC 12 started off at least on a good foot and, and they fell. And we know that the PAC 12 is a conference that has not really fared well in the postseason, and certainly does not have a lot of uh, great reputation nationally in terms of being a quote-unquote power conference. So the Beavs dropping this one in Las Vegas certainly didn't help their cause. So um, what else is going on in the in the world of Power Five? Uh, Sully, anything that jumps out to you from maybe the SEC or the ACC? Yeah, let's, uh, you know, with the, with the SEC, I think you kind of touched on a little bit with Texas A&M losing some coaches. You know, with Mike Elko gone, now they've not only lost their OC, their DC, they lost their line coach. You know, this is a, a, a coaching staff that just put up a historical draft uh, recruiting class, not just number one for 2022, but uh, for one of the best recruiting classes of all time, if not the best recruiting class uh, by 247 Sports. So losing all those coaches is a big, big deal. And it kind of makes you wonder now with so many transfers and with coaches leaving and, and moving on and schools you know, getting rid of coaches so quickly, these, uh, these players, when they're seniors in high school, they really have to figure out, is this a school that I want to stay at? Or is this a coach that I like? Because if you're going to a school for a coach, unless that coach is Davo Sweeney or Nick Saban or Mike Gundy, then you really got to make sure that, uh, that you like that school because chances are that coach isn't going to be there for four years with you. And Texas A&M is really a perfect example of that because I know Jimbo Fisher, everywhere he's gone, he's recruited. He's been one of the best recruiters in the sport. There's no way he got all of these recruits in himself. Elko had a big part to do with it. The rest of the coaching staff did. And now they're moving on to other schools. Uh, I'm not saying that some of these guys may flip and go somewhere else, but I do think there's a lot to, uh, to attract players and, and athletes to College Station right now. But it, there's definitely going to be something to be said about these coaches moving on so quickly and, and how recruits decide maybe, maybe they want to go based off the school and not necessarily the recruiter. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Wax, Big Ten or Big 12, uh, anything that jumps out to you that you want to um, educate the nation on and, and we can chat about? Yeah, the, the Big Ten really um, next year is going to be one where, as the old saying goes, you're not going to be able to tell the players without a program. I mean, some big names are gone, um, but a few are actually uh, coming in. The one I really thought was intriguing, uh, Michigan State did so well 
this year with Kenneth Walker coming from Wake Forest. Now they get another one from inside the conference in Wisconsin's Jalen Berger. He was expected to have a, a real major role with Wisconsin this year um, as, as kind of a, a breakout guy, one of those New Jersey backs that Wisconsin is always so fond of recruiting. Um, he uh, fell into disfavor, was dismissed from school, ended up going to Michigan State, and he may be the replacement for Kenneth Walker. He is shifty. He's not quite um, – I don't think he's quite as much of a workhorse but he definitely is a guy who can be a featured guy. And Mel Tucker has proven he's not afraid to, to give his running backs carries. So that one intrigued me. Adrian Martinez going to Kansas State. I think yeah. if, if there was a better fit for a quarterback, I don't know of one. I mean, he goes from – Kansas State runs more of the offense that Nebraska should have been running, especially for Adrian Martinez's skill set. If you watch what Skylar Thompson did um, – that's basically what Adrian Martinez can do. They'll get him out on the edge. They'll call some design running plays. Um, they'll have him throw, but not have him throw a lot. I think that a lot of Nebraska's offense was kind of square peg round hole, and that's why I think they struggled so mightily. It wasn't that they didn't have talent. I just don't know that it was a good fit. So Chris Kleiman getting Adrian Martinez to come into Kansas State is uh, really interesting. And then one that I think maybe flew under the radar, the people don't realize how, how good this kid is, Maryland loses linebacker Terrence Lewis. This kid is going to be a real get for whoever finds him because he was really touted coming out of high school. He's lanky, he's aggressive, he's fast, and he, he if there's a linebacker needy team out there, he's probably going to fit in right away. He was the one that really kind of had me salivating like, hey, there's a school a little bit uh, east of you, a little bit west of you that's in uh, kind of the center of Ohio that's been linebacker needy for years. Maybe you can show up in Columbus. So Terrence Lewis, I think it could be a real diamond for um, for, for someone who, uh, who who needs a linebacker. So that's what's going on in the Big Ten. Obviously, the bowl, the bowl games won't be going on until next week. Um, there's not a whole lot else going on other than um, some of the, the coaching stuff that you talked about. Yeah, and another name that is leaving Maryland at, at the linebacker position that will be good is Brandon Jennings, uh, another highly touted guy. And, and you can come to expect that with, uh, with Mike Loxley. I mean, somebody who recruits well, but unfortunately is not able to keep that talent um, as well. And, uh, you know, another name that left that program while we're staying in the Big Ten. Penny Boone decided to go to Toledo. I think that's a good get for the Toledo Rockets. Yes. Um, you know, with Bryant Kobach, I believe this is his senior year, so he'll be he'll be gone after this year, and that's a big loss for them. But Penny Boone gives him a bruiser. He's closer to home. He's actually from my backyard in Detroit, uh, played for, I think, Martin Luther King High School, which is one of the top programs in the state, known for being tough, physical. So I think that's going to be a good fit, not only for Boone, but also for, for Toledo because they're going to need to get back on track, uh, Jason Candle, that is, and get that Toledo program back to the, the double-digit wins that they're used to and, and not win in seven games and then drop into Middle Tennessee State in the Bahamas Bowl. But, you know, I'm glad they did because I picked that. So, anyway, off of me, um, uh, let's get to the group of five here. So, um, Bailey Zappi set new FBS records. He uh, finished his season with 5,967 passing yards which is a new FBS single-season record. He broke B.J. Simmons' record at Texas Tech, of course, under Mike Leach back in the uh, 2000s. Zappi had eight games of 400-plus passing yards. Um, he had, uh, what was it here, um, six games where he threw five or more touchdowns. So that was the other record that he broke. 62 passing touchdowns in one season breaks. Joe Burrow's record of 61 back in that magical 2019 unbelievable season. Now, I know people will say, well, Zappi played in the Conference USA. He played against lesser uh, competition, but that's a lot of yards to throw against. And, you know, speaking as a former quarterback, it's not always easy, even if it's on air. You still have to hit your mark. You still have to make good reads, and, and you've got to have a good system, which he did. And unfortunately for Western Kentucky, Zach Kitley, who they brought over for one year from Houston Baptist as the offensive corner, he's now going to Texas Tech. 
So the Red Raiders could be high flying again with his passing offense joining, um, you know, their new head coach there. But, um, you know, that was good news for the group of five. Louisiana, big season, 13-1 and they finished with the bowl win over Marshall, 36-21. So even though Billy Napier has gone to Florida, I mean, 12 of those wins were his doing. And, yeah, you could count the 13th his doing as well because you've got to get your team set up and in position. And Michael DeSormo, who took over as the the new coach, he was, um, you know, the co, uh, co-offensive co coordinator, I think, there. So, um, you know, led him to a victory in the in the new orleans bowl so good job for the raging cajuns and just looking at group of five overall they started off pretty good this this bowl season for most of those conferences mountain west two and oh so far three and oh i think after today's game the Sun Belt two and one the american conference one and oh conference usa and even three and three at 500 independence at one and one uh the byu team dropped the ball for me and i think a lot of people in that game but then the max still struggling in postseason 0-3, now they're going to be 0-4 if Kent State, in fact, did lose this Idaho Potato Bowl. Um, you know, that would drop them to 0 for in four games. So the MAC has got to find a way to, to win in the postseason more than just, you know, a sporadic uh, Northern Illinois team, you know, in the past with Jordan Lynch or, you know, the CMU teams of old. Uh, you know, I'm hoping for my sake that Western Michigan gets it done in games coming up, but we'll, we'll touch on that later. So um, anything else from our, our conferences, gentlemen? Yeah, I want to touch on the Zappy thing. I think that people are selling him short. When you run an air raid, that is a decision-making offense. And yeah. he's got to be quick to process things because the receivers basically have two different things they can do. He's got to look at the coverage where the defender is and decide where he's putting the ball. So he may not have the biggest arm in the world. I know the NFL loves these guys who can throw the ball 70 yards on a dime from their knees. But I think Bailey Zappi can get into a camp and can stick because he can make the sideline throw. He can make the over the middle throw. And he's not going to put the ball in harm's way because he can process really, really well. For sure. For sure. And, you know, as, as a Detroit Lions fan, uh, I fear that they're going to pick him up and that's going to be doomed for him. It didn't work for gunslinger Andre Ware. It didn't work when Ty Detmer tried to, uh, you know, revive his NFL career. I know he was, um, you know, started off with Green Bay, but then he ended up in Detroit and, and basically was uh, forced to retire because they just couldn't use his services. So, if Bailey Zappi looks for a, a great NFL career, hopefully it's somewhere outside of yeah. the Detroit Lions. So, um, Sully, anything before we move on to our, a quick break? Uh, no, I, I just think real quick uh, on the ACC, the one thing I wanted to touch on was uh, Dabo Sweeney coming out today or maybe it was yesterday talking about how maybe there should be a penalty again for players transferring and not just being able to pick up and, and pack up your dorm room and go to another conference and, and uh, unpack right away. Uh <clears throat> I get it. I totally understand. He's lost his backup quarterback. He's lost some other players up this year's roster. Uh, I'm sure he's never really gone to a situation where he ever had any significant players transfer out. They've always been backups with third string. Uh, but this is a guy who just doesn't get it, and he needs to get a grip on what college football is in the uh, the 2020s. Listen, you're going to have players transfer. You're going to have players leave campus. You're going to have coaches leave. And you've had to see what Nick Saban's had, how, what he's done to try to – you change with the times, right? I mean, he was never a quarterback first offense, and now all of a sudden he's got four quarterbacks in a row in New York City for the Heisman presentation. You know, you look at some of the other coaches who've succeeded. I mean, Gundy's had to completely reinvent what he's done with the program over there. You have to change with the times, and if that was when he doesn't, and he just thinks he's not going to go to the transfer portal to bring anybody in, and he's just going to let players walk out and throw fit when they walk out too, you know, that it's not going to work for him, and he's going to end himself in the – find himself at the uh, the middle of the road in the ACC looking up and trying to figure out how Jeff Halfley and the birds flew right over him. Yeah, he's yep. he, he, he's been a little hypocritical, as has Mike Leach. Mike Leach came out and said, guys shouldn't be able to leave, but they didn't expound and say, okay, do the same rules fall on coaches? Because as we've seen, a lot of these coaches have left before the bowl game to go to their new location. So if you're going to lament – the freedom of movement that the players have, then you should also at the same time 
come down on the coaches movement, but these guys don't want to do that because it affects them directly. And they look like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, which is a big reason I root against both of them almost on a routine basis. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that's, that's like coaching one-on-one is learning how to speak out of both sides of your mouth. And, and I'm, I'm recalling Lou Holtz when he talked and said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, you're either growing or you're dying. So yeah, message, message to Dabo Swinney and Mike Leach and anybody else who's going to complain about something that's pretty much inevitable. Um, you either adapt and you fix it and, and you learn how to work with it, or you're going to get left behind. So we are not going to leave you behind. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we've got cover four, and then we've got part two of our bowl picks for the next week here on College Football Impact on the CFP podcast. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. This is segment three and four on College Football Impact, CFI on the CFP podcast. I'm Chappie. That's Wax. That's Sully. We are getting into really the second half of bowl season. And, and I guess if you want to be technical, it's more like the second two thirds. So that's going to be exciting coming up. A lot more power five schools, power five matchups. Um, although the grain of salt with that is there are some players who are gone from some of those teams to the transfer portal. Some are gone for opt-outs, and some might still make those decisions to opt out. But the three of us are here. We are not leaving. We're not going to any greener pastures. This is it. You got us. We are, we are signed, sealed, and committed to you. So let's get to cover four. Cover four. I told you guys, one of my favorites. I love it. There's so much to go into it. So again, uh, those who are new to the podcast, thank you for joining us, and we encourage you to tell your friends, your family. But what we do on Cover 4, we have four hard-hitting questions where the three of us will give our thoughts, we'll go around. Sometimes we'll agree, sometimes we'll have some wholehearted, headbutting disagreements, but that's what makes it fun. So question one, gentlemen, and I'll start with you, Wax. Um, the, the segment or the, the theme for this segment for Cover 4 this week is either or. So I'm going to give you two choices you have to choose either the first one or the second one there's no caveats there's no ifs ands or buts it's, it's you got to take one or the other so let's start with the transfer portal or nil if you have to keep one which one do you keep wax portal or nil i will lean toward nil because i think that one is easier to fix and regulate i think at some point they're going to step in and say look the money is capped at x that way, Alabama doesn't have an advantage over Georgia Tech, and it'll be a level playing field, and people can go to a school and feel like they have the same opportunities to make some money and be able to develop uh, maybe a product or something as, as anywhere, rather than just going to the really big moneyed schools. So I would go for NIL because I think it will be easier to regulate and easier to fix. Dolly, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to side with Wax here and say the NIL. Uh, I think you see what you know what happened this year with guys like P.J. Uyangale, who probably made more money than probably the majority of the players in college football, maybe outside Bryce Young and, and a handful of others. You know, the, you're going to have schools that are going to put a lot of money or are going to have players that get a lot of money from these uh, these big corporate sponsors, and it's just not going to work out. You know, uh, we had Joe Zagaki, the, the play-by-play announcer for the Miami Hurricanes on the show at the beginning of the season – and he said, you know, if you had, if NIL was, uh, was legal last year, then Tate Martell probably would have been the richest player in college football, and he didn't even win the job. You know, and it's just kind of interesting. All these players are making this much money be based off the perception of what they can be, and then they get on the field, and they're nowhere near the value. Um, so I think at some point, you know, it is it, it, some of these schools are, or some of these companies are going to stop paying these players absorbent amount of money as things levels out. I mean, of course, there'll be a race probably next year to pay, you know, guys like Bryce Young and, and guys like, uh, you know, some of the the sure starters next year, the, you know, as much money as they can. But you know what? The guy just won the Heisman. He probably deserves to have the most money in college football. If you're if you're basically, you know, paying off of uh, of their name and their likeness, then you want to go after the best of the best. But I think at some point it levels out just because of the economics of it. I mean, it's a lot of money that a few players made this year, and, and the majority of college football really wasn't affected by it. So I'll take name, image, and likeness because I think the transfer portal is just – you know, more than anything, I, I get it. Players don't get a shot at their school. They want to go somewhere else. But as a fan, it becomes really hard to follow this sport. It really does because, you know, you look at all the guys who already transferred. They're not playing the bowl games. Fine. Okay. But now they're going to go play for another team next year. It's, it's, it's becoming harder to follow. 
And, uh, and I think it's just, it's not great for the sport. I'm going to agree with both of you guys. I, you know, so NIL for a lot of the reasons you said, I think it's, it's easier to regulate. I think it will even out. I think um, it's, it's rewarding and, and benefiting players for something that I, I would assume that most of them have earned, you know, um, the, the problem I have with, or one of the problems I have with the portal is like you said, Sully, one of the reasons I don't follow college basketball is because of the whole one and done. And, and, you know, how, how can I follow a team religiously every year when the roster turnover is just so incredible and, and there's no guarantee that they're going to be there even for the entire season, let alone for, you know, two, three, four years. Um, I also think that it's doing a lot more kids a disservice because you're giving them this impression at a formidable age, which I think 18 to 22 is still a formidable age where it's basically, okay, this didn't work out for me. So I'm just going to um, try it somewhere else as opposed to learning things the hard way. And I go with what Bobby Bowden always said, adversity is your best teacher. And you learn more from adversity than you do from success. And I think that, you know, I I love uh, an example like Kenny Pickett this year, who said, uh, you know, when, when things were not going as, as prominent for him in the Pitt Panthers, he didn't transfer. Uh, he also didn't jump to the NFL. He saw this as, I, I can get better here, and I'm going to stick with my OC, Mark Whipple, and it, who's a good quarterback coach. I'm going to stick around and, and try for what I can get done. And I just think that that's a better lesson for, for young men to learn than it is to just say, okay, we're going to uh, try this school and then try that school. And in the wake, you're leaving your teammates, you're leaving a university, you're leaving your fans who really are the lifeblood of this sport. You're leaving them behind because of something that, in my opinion, is more of a not so prominent, a, a selfish decision. I mean, there's good selfish decisions. I don't think this is a good selfish decision when people enter the transfer portal um, for reasons of, well, I didn't get playing time. You know, I mean, obviously there's extenuating circumstances where the portal can help certain young men. Uh, but in many cases, I think what we see is uh, this isn't fair and life's not fair. So I'm gonna, just going to assume that something else is going to be handed to me when you, you got to work. And, and, and meritocracy will always be the way that I, I think that the world should be run. So off my soapbox, let's get to question number two. CFP or BCS? So our current four-team playoff system, or do we go back to the BCS system where you could still determine four playoff teams, or do we go back to the, the two-team uh, championship, but it's decided basically by computers and, and less biased individuals and more so uh, metrics and analytics. So, Sully, we'll start with you. Do you keep BCS? I'm sorry, do you keep CFP or do you say we go back to the BCS system? No, it's, it's perfect uh, going into the CFP. Maybe, maybe the format's not perfect, but having four teams makes this thing so much more enjoyable. More teams get in it. There's so much more uh, parity in, in the sport now than I think there was then and uh, maybe not at the top but throughout the you know the whole uh, power fives and I really just think it, it's just so much more exciting I mean week one we're talking about who's your final four and it goes all the way through the whole season it's not just one and two right it's not just Alabama against Georgia you have other teams that can play in this thing and it really makes it for an entire year of banter an entire year of, of everything every game means so much more I mean how how important was that Michigan Michigan State game at the time Right. And then the Michigan, Ohio State game, every game carries so much weight because you lose one of those games and now you're out, but you're not entirely out, which is which is what makes it even better. Right. I mean, Alabama and Michigan, they lost a game this year. Right. Georgia lost in the SEC championship. So those those teams still got in with a loss. But the reason why they were able to is because there was four teams and it makes it, it definitely makes it so much more exciting from week one till the end. Uh, you don't have to just run the table and then the 200 feet of teams get in. Plus, I think the BCS was flawed. I think, you know, we didn't always really get the two best teams. And while there's certainly some uh, discussion to be had on whether the four best teams make the CFP, I think you, the majority of the time, I think we all agree that one one, in, one through three are pretty unanimous that they're in. It's always like that fourth and fifth spot that you can toss up on. But uh, it's I, I like it the way it is. I don't think it needs to go to eight. I think it, four is perfect, but uh, definitely keeping the CFP over the BCS. All right, Wax, what do you think? My problem has never been with the four teams. My problem has been with the way that they arrive at the four teams. I like the selection process for the BCS. As you said, more heavily weighted toward computers. There is some human element, 
but you didn't really feel that this committee, the secret committee, was in a room mucking up the works, maybe looking for a way to stick it to the little guy. They basically were just putting their vote in, and then the computers were looking at um, data points. Um, undefeated really helped a lot which is why Cincinnati in a VCS system still would have done well. And if you go back through the years, TCU, Utah, Miami of Ohio, those teams that were unbeaten or right that would have been like higher up in the top 10 in the polls would have actually had a legitimate shot in the BCS because of the human element being minimized. So if you're asking which system, BCS in a heartbeat, but... I don't want to go back to two teams, so I would keep the CFP teams, but use a format more like the BCS. Or are you, do or do I have to pick the BCS the way it was, or the CFP the way it is? Is that what the question is? Well, I'll allow that because I'm going to agree with you, uh, okay. Wax. I if if in terms of how they arrive at the teams, definitely I would go with the BCS because. Even the human element, it, it took in the um, the human polls, and most of those polls were by college football writers and college football knowledgeable people, people like us who follow the sport, who cover the sport, who who look at more than just the top four teams. I still have yet to really be convinced that anyone I've seen in the CFP committee is somebody, or at least half of them, let's say, are, are people that I could say, you know what, I feel good about them selecting it. It's either... Um, historic names or it's people in political realms or it's people like athletic directors who clearly have some bias and possibly an agenda that they need to fit either for their school or for their conference. And I just don't think that that's right. I think that there needs to be a level of unbiasedness. And uh, I think you got that with the, the human polls in the BCS. Now, I agree that four teams is great. And, and I love that aspect of it because I'm with you, Sully, that it, it creates even more heightened talk throughout the length of the season. So I love the four teams, but I love the the way that it's arrived mathematically with the BCS. So um, moving from this question, if we could somehow merge what we have with both systems and make it a, a, a better hybrid, I'm all for that. All right, question three. And this is kind of comparing now to um, the 90s and 2000s. Would you rather have the internet the way we have it now, where you can go on and get pretty much any stat, any metric, any box score that you want from the games, but you only get the um, limited TV networks like ABC and CBS to show possibly two games a day? Or do you scrap the internet and have all those TV networks, um, but you can't go online? So would you rather have the internet to follow college football and, and less TV networks watching the games? Or would you rather have the ability to watch all these games on so many networks, but no internet to, to follow that? Uh, Wax, we'll start with you this time. I would pick the TV networks because back in the day, I had all the stats in my head. So my head was the internet. So sure. I did a lot of reading. I would look, the Sunday paper would come back when they used to not have an early edition and all the scores could get in. And I'd be looking at all of just the agate and the, the scores. I'd see, oh, Whittier beat Eureka. Great. And <laughs> I was looking at that. But being limited to one game on CBS and one game on ABC, you would, you'd watch. This really dates me because I think this may have been before you guys were born. There was a show called the Prudential College Scoreboard which had Dave Dials. Um, it's it, it's similar to a wrap-up show, but you'd yeah. see these games. It's like, oh, man, I wish I could have seen that one. But because you were in the Midwest, you'd get a Big Ten game or maybe a Big 12 game, and there may have been a barn burner of the Pac-12, and you didn't get to see it. So I would opt for having all of the networks and being able to see as many games as possible while they were unfolding. And I'm with you there because, um, like, I remember – seeing the tease for okay some markets will get the um you know the michigan illinois game some markets will get the nebraska colorado game and as a college football nationalist i was thinking okay i want to see so bad nebraska colorado and i really didn't know which one it was going to be and then they would kick off 
And, and I would see, you know, live from the big house and I'd be like, oh, come on. Like, I really wanted to see that that rivalry game. And now with all these TV networks, you can pretty much see any game you want. And, you know, as long as your your network provider doesn't uh, screw you over like a, a certain uh, unnamed provider uh, that fortunately covered their tail in recent days. But um, anyway, I digress on that. I agree with you, Wax. I would certainly want to have the ability to watch all the games when I could, even if it meant that I couldn't go online and and see what I wanted to see on the internet. And part of that is also just my disdain for uh, the problems that the internet has caused society as 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 a whole. But uh, sticking to college football, give me the networks and watching on TV over the World Wide Web. Sully, what do you think? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go against you guys and go with the web on this one. I it's. Uh... You know, it's so easy to now go online and, and or go on YouTube TV and just watch kind of a, a short recap of a game. Uh, I mean, there's only, there's only so many hours in a Saturday and a Sunday, so it's hard to watch every game. But, uh, you know, picking the picking and choosing the games that I really want to watch live and then going on and watching, you know, maybe like a 10-minute recap of the game with all the important plays and all the, you know, touchdowns and big hits uh, on YouTube or, or some of these other providers um, – it really makes it a lot easier to consume as much college football as possible. Otherwise it's just not possible in my opinion. Uh, plus, I mean, the internet gives us all the good memes and all the good gifts. So we can laugh at all the coaches who make a fool of themselves throughout the season. And if it weren't for that, then uh, Mike Gundy's mullet and maybe some of the Mike Leach's uh, situations would not be well known. So got to thank the internet for that. Well, and I also am thankful for the internet because without the internet, I wouldn't have been able to meet you two gentlemen and we wouldn't be able to do this fine podcast that we do every week. So that is a, a blessing of the World Wide Web, Sully. So our, our fourth question here, gentlemen. And Sully, we'll start with you because I think your answer is a slam dunk uh, no-brainer, in my opinion. Um, when we talk about dynasties, again, comparing our heydays. Uh, so you and I, Sully, are, uh, you know, we started to get into college football in the 90s, 2000s, uh, wax maybe a year or two prior to that. Uh, but would you rather take 70s? Uh, yeah. <laughs> would you rather take um, the Alabama dynasty of the late 2010s and 2020s, or would you rather take the Nebraska dynasty of the 1990s? Sully, let's start with you. Ooh. Well, you know what? I remember maybe not uh, that Nebraska dynasty, but I do remember my mother and father used to come home with their betting slips back in the day before you could bet online. <laughs> and, uh, and the first thing that they did was it would circle Nebraska. They didn't even look who they were playing. They wouldn't look at the point spread. They would just automatically cash in on Nebraska. And it was pretty much an automatic bid for them. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that was my, my original pick segment. There. I was watching my parents fill out the bet cards. Uh, <laughs> but so that was, that was a lot of fun. But I mean, what Nick Saban's doing right now is, is truly incredible. Uh, and I don't think it's it's ever possible to reduplicate this. I mean, you look at what he's doing with the transfer portal, what he's doing uh, in a time where, you know, name image like this is now, you know, coming in the forefront. And for his players, I mean, certainly some of these players get money in the NFL and they turn into yahoos. But for the most part, I mean, he's got such a sound program. Uh, you never hear a bad thing about Saban. I mean, if there's ever a bad thing, it's, you know, he, he yells too much, but I mean, there's never any scandals around him or his players. Not that there was at Nebraska, but it's just such a found foundation that it's, uh, I can't imagine that this is uh, ever going to be duplicated again or, or could ever be like this in the past. Uh, Nebraska had a hell of a run, but I mean, just look at what Nebraska, I mean, what Alabama has done with all their championships, their Heismans, uh, all the players they've sent to the NFL. Uh, it's it, in the best conference in the country to consistently win and consistently be the top dog and consistently, maybe even more importantly, to cash uh, checks at the betting window week in and week out when they're favored by 20 or so points. That's maybe the most impressive thing is that they, they just keep rolling through the betting window and just keep cashing checks for us betters. Yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly respect that. I think in terms of, uh, in terms of who's more impressive, I'm going to go with Alabama, but my pick though uh, can be related to, Two words, option football. And I love option football. So that's where, even though I hated them at the time because they were just so damn good and they just won all the time. And it really was, it was boring to watch um, as a fan and especially as an opponent because they just dominated. But I'm going to take uh, Tom Osborne, who was a great coach, a great mentor, uh, just a great man. And that's not to sell Saban short. Saban is the GOAT, hands down. But Tom Osborne, to do what he did at Nebraska, especially when you look at how Nebraska, how far they are from, from getting anywhere close to what they were, 
but I loved watching the uh, the the read option, the uh, the speed option, the dive option, just with with the fullback out of the eye, and you knew it was coming, but it was just so hard to stop. And and then they would smother you with that black shirt defense, and you know the the big red crowd. I mean, Nebraska football was you know the the peak of dominance in the '90s, and again as a, you know, my own personal bias. I just love watching that option attack that, uh, that all those great Nebraska quarterbacks and running backs would, would come at you and hit you with. And, and it was really, um, it was really sad uh, as a football fan to see when Osborne stepped down and then when they uh, unfairly let Frank Solich go. And it's kind of like the curse of the babe in Lincoln, Nebraska. I mean, be careful what you wish for. And they're still, uh, you know, picking that crow out of their teeth as we speak. So, Wax, what about you? Alabama 2010s or Nebraska 90s? Um, I will agree with you that what Alabama is doing right now is almost unfair. I mean, the way that they are just sort of ruling over college football, especially in this era of the transfer portal and recruiting um, being a, a, a little more mercurial. Kids might only be on campus for a year. So that's impressive. But I'm with you. Those Nebraska teams... They were two points away from winning three straight national titles and four in five years. I mean, that is just ridiculous. And you you just list off the guys they had. I mean, Tommy Frazier is one of the all-time great college football players from any era. He's the only guy to get named MVP in bowl games three straight years, including the one that they lost against Florida State. So yeah. he was great. Some of those defensive guys, I mean, Grant Wistrom and – Jason Peter and some of those linebackers that they had, I mean, they would just hit you in the next week. It was a fun game to watch, a fun team to watch. And you're right with the option. It was like for, for the opposing team, it's like being in a dentist chair and they Novocaine you. You know it's coming. It's a slow, painful thing, but it's going to happen. So we're just going to kind of have to suffer through this. So I, as impressive as Alabama is, I would also say Nebraska. And because I give them so much respect, I remember vividly watching when they went out to Arizona State in uh, 97, I think it was, and the Sun Devils beat them in Tempe. And that was such a huge, shocking upset because how could this, you know, this this quick but not nearly as physical team from Tempe, Arizona, keep up with the, you know, the big red machine. So, um, you know, just again, mucho respect to those Nebraska teams. All right, we are into segment four, which is our pick segment. You either win me or win, 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 win. Yeah. Curve everything else. Win, 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 win. Uh, to run down last week, it was, uh, you know, the three of us took it a little bit on the chin with our first few bowl games, at least the ones that were on the ledger. So, you know, Sully and I were two and three out of five games, Wax one and four, but we know that things can change in a hurry. And, um, Sully, you've experienced that. You've been on a, a little bit of a hot streak with our picks off air. So we're going to give you the, the first one out of the box here, Sully. So looking at the Gasparilla Bowl on December 23rd, my birthday, by the way, um, UCF and Florida, the Gators, a six and a half point favorite. So Sully, let's start with you. Who do you like between the Gators and the Knights? Well, first of all, I just love this game. I love that they were able to put these two teams together, right? I mean, yes. we've heard all obviously the past two or three years that maybe they're going to be able to put this matchup together during the regular season. And this was the first game that was kind of floated out as a rumor uh, before the Bulls were announced. So I was so happy to hear it. Um, it's just a different brand of football. I know Florida's lost a lot. I know they get some instability there coaching, uh, but I like the Gators to roll on this one. UCF may have been a, a good team at one time, but they're not a good team right now. And, and Florida rolls. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on that one. Um, I, I, even though, Emory Jones is going to play even though he's in the portal and he's kind of made it known that he plans on transferring. Who knows? Maybe Billy Napier can convince him to stay. Honestly, I don't know if Napier wants to keep him around. Um, he has not impressed me as a passer, and I think it's good to start clean, especially with getting Jack Miller, a transfer from Ohio State. Maybe that's a guy that the Gators can ride. But I think that Florida's just got too many athletes, even though they've had um, you know, receiver Jacob Copeland go into the portal and Zachary Carter has opted for the NFL. Um, if something happens with Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson is out with a knee injury. I just think that when it comes down to it, Florida 
should be a seven-point winner over the Knights uh, in this postseason bowl as they're looking to audition and start anew with new coach Billy Napier. So give me the Gators here, minus six and a half. Wax? I'm going to go contrary and take UCF. Uh, All the things that Sully said is correct. UCF started out pretty well, had some quarterback issues. They still aren't a very smooth offense, but... I don't know how dialed in Florida is. I know that that they are kind of doing a changing of the guard with Billy Napier, but uh, you're not going to fix that overnight. And you're right. Emory Jones does have some issues with passing the ball. Florida is one of the worst teams in the country in terms of turnover margin. They're minus eight. And UCF has the type of defense that can at least force you into some turnovers. So just one or two short fields for UCF, and they can score. They may not win the game, but I can see this being a field goal or a four-point game. So I'm going to take the Knights. All right. Well, let's go to the uh, Military Bowl with the ECU Pirates and Boston College. The Eagles getting three points in this one. So, Wax, let's let's start with you since we got to your third on the last one. Do you like ECU or do you like BC here? I really like what ECU has done this season. Um, I think that Holton Ehlers is um, kind of an underappreciated guy. Big, uh, big strapping kid. He can run when he needs to. And they've got a really good um, receiving core. And the defense showed some improvement during the season. I know they had a couple of fits and starts where they gave up some points in some games. But I think that... They're starting to – that's a program that I think is on the rise. Not that Boston College isn't, but I think that ECU is going to be pretty jacked to take on a Power 5 team. And I actually think ECU can win this game outright just because I think Boston College, especially on offense, has been really kind of uh, stagnant the last few weeks of the season. Yeah, this is one that it's really a pick 'em. I mean, uh, three anything three points and under is pretty much a coin flip anyway. So it's who do you think is going to uh, win it outright? I actually think BC um, is the slightly better team. I mean, in my own power rankings, these two teams are three points away from one another. Uh, but Jeff Halfley just strikes me as somebody who's a little bit more established. I know Mike Houston is doing great things at ECU, but you got to wonder is he kind of um, eyeing things beyond Greenville, North Carolina? Uh, I, I, I tend to think that he is. I think Phil Jerkovic coming back from injury and announcing that he's coming back next season is going to be a big shot in the arm for BC. And uh, I think that the ground game, I think that uh, ultimately their their uh, pass defense will get it done for them. So I like the Eagles to, to get the win here, minus three. Sully, the Bostonian, what do you think? Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to have all the expectations we had for BC earlier on in the season. And now we're in the military appreciation bowl against ECU. Uh, that's a tough pill to swallow, but I think that Halfley instills so much pride in in his locker room and in his team. You know, last year they really prided themselves on being, you know, the team with like the least amount of COVID cases. Again, this year, again, uh, I think that they are just such a proud team over uh, in in Chestnut Hill, and it's going to carry over into this one because this game means a lot to them. They want to finish with a winning record. They don't want to finish six and seven on the season. You know, they, they started the season 5-0, and and now, you know, they're, they're staring at a losing season. It's not going to happen. Half is going to have the boys ready to fly. Big win for BC. I'm going to put hmm, I'm gonna put 200 B.O.B. bucks on it. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Sully's back. Uh, he's, got that, he's got that confidence going again. Uh, all right, well, let's go down to Birmingham, Alabama, and the new protective stadium, the new – uh, the new digs for the UAB football program. They're hosting this Birmingham Bowl between the Houston Cougars, who are the runner-up in the AAC conference, against the Auburn Tigers, who really gave the Alabama Crimson Tide a scare, the number one Alabama Crimson Tide in that Iron Bowl. Auburn currently a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll start off with this one. It scares me to, to pick Dana Holgerson as a favorite in a bowl game. He is 0-1 at Houston, 2-6 and overall as a head coach in bowl play but the the Cougs just have a, a really good defense Clayton Toon has you know pun intended been in tune and you know Tank Dell on the outside is a playmaker at wide receiver um, Alton McCaskill when he's healthy uh, does a good job their offensive line is is one that can control and be kind of physical 
Auburn, it scares me with the number of players that they've had kind of put their name or at least flirt with the portal. Tank Bigsby says that he will stay at Auburn, but it makes me wonder, where's the trust with Brian Harson? It sounds like they're really weeding out anybody who is not all in. So that could galvanize the team and we could see Auburn steamroll the Cougars or we could see some uncertainty and we could see kind of like open auditions, this these bowl practices and, and what you get is somewhat of a splintered Auburn team and you've got little camps, but Houston um, kind of playing off the disappointment of not beating Cincinnati in the AAC championship. I like the Cougs in this one because it's such a, a thin spread. So again, kind of like a pick them. Give me Houston in this one. Uh, Sully, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to start with you in this one and go Houston. You know, when Auburn played UCF a couple of years ago in a, in a bowl game, they didn't get up for it. And I get it. It's a different, different team, a different coach. It's just that mentality of a team that's as proud as Auburn coming from the SEC, now playing, you know, quote unquote little brother there in, in group of five. And, and there, I know Houston is, if there's ever a group of five team that's as close to a power five team, it's probably Houston just based off of their facilities and their, you know, recent history. But it's just, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, Houston's going to go in there. They're going to win the game because they're going to catch Auburn sleeping. Like you said, they don't have all their players all bought in right now. It's a dysfunctional team right now. I think they they just lost their quarterback, Bo Nix, uh, you know, which is the shocker of all time, right? The kid grows up basically in an uh, Auburn diapers and he leaves to go to uh, Oregon. So I think that team right now is trying to look for an identity and they're not going to find it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a big day for Houston. All right, Wax, are you uh, you going to make it three for three, or are you going to go contrarian on us? No, I am going to make it three for three. I mean, yes. some of the opt-outs that Auburn has, Kobe McLean and Roger McCreary. Roger McCreary is really good, and without him to shadow Nathan Nathaniel Dell, I think that Houston could put up some really big passing numbers. And to your point, I wonder how many of these guys are really going to be kind of all rowing the same way. So I'm going to take Houston here. All right, let's go to the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee. Mississippi State, a team that has gone to Memphis playing the, the hometown Tigers and has not done so well in this in this bowl game, or not in that bowl game, but in that in that stadium. But now they're playing in a bowl game against Texas Tech. Mike Leach uh, is still trying to collect money from the the university over in Lubbock because of uh, you know things how things went down and how that ended that relationship ended a few years ago. Mississippi State a nine-point favorite. This is actually one of my most confident picks. I'm taking the Bulldogs big here. Texas Tech will not only be without their uh, head coach, uh, but their interim head coach, Sonny Cumbie, is going to be the head coach over at Louisiana Tech. He is going to coach in the bowl game, but you know that all of his efforts and intents have been with the Bulldogs, with recruiting, with setting up his new staff. So what sort of focus has been put with the Red Raiders? I just think this spells that Mississippi State, especially with um, with Will Rogers at quarterback and all those receivers and Mike Leach calling plays from his little note card, literally just like a little piece of paper. I think uh, Mississippi State gets it done. Hell State here, minus nine over Texas Tech. Wax? Yeah, I agree. Tech was trending the wrong way at the end of the season. They lost four of their last five, um, got shut out by, by a good defense at Oklahoma State, played Baylor close, but for the reasons you said, all the coaching uh, upheaval. Um, you don't know exactly which team's going to show up. And I think Mike Leach is going to dig into his bag of tricks and really do some some big things for Mississippi State. They should be able to cover this one fairly easily. All right, Sully, are you going to make it three for three or are you going contrarian on us? No, I'm, I'm going to go with Tech in this one. Uh, you know, it's kind of two middling of the road power five teams uh you know do they have a lot to play for i don't know are they really gonna get up for this bowl game it's tough to tell you get players opting out players transferring coaches leaving it's just one of those situations where uh when there's two i would say average uh power five teams from from these conferences and you give me more than a touchdown i'm gonna take that all day so just because i i, I don't know which way it's gonna go it's tough to know who's gonna be motivated who's not uh i'm just gonna go the easy easy picks here and and, uh, and go the points yeah, it's, it's, that can be a safe play. Uh, I don't blame you on that one. All right, let's go to the Holiday Bowl out in California. Uh, Wax, I know this is one of your all-time favorite bowl games. We've got UCLA and NC State. Again, pretty much another pick them. NC State currently favored by one point. I'm going to take the Bruins in this one. I think that uh, Chip Kelly, you know, with him not going anywhere, uh, it seems like he's, he's going to be in UCLA happily at least for another year. 
I, I like what they do on offense, especially in their run game. I, I'm not sure if DTR is going to be uh, playing or not. I would assume he is. I haven't heard otherwise. But, um, you know, Greg Dulcich at tight end, I think he's set for a big game. Uh, Zach Charbonnet and Britton Brown on the in the ground game. I like them going against NC State. Uh, you know, give me give me the Bruins in this one, plus one to to have the slight upset over the Wolfpack. I just think that this is going to be one of the games where the Pac-12 does shine. Uh, Wax, what do you think? I think Dave Doran is one of the best coaches in America. I think that his teams seem to get underrated each year. Their defense is really good. Their defense is a top 20 defense, and the offense is just about the same as UCLA's on a per-play basis. Um, I think NC State is going to use some momentum um, and and be able to win this game. I mean, it's two maligned conferences. Um, I think that the ACC will get an upper hand here. I'm going to put 30 bucks on this one behind the Wolfpack. All right, Sully, we've got about uh, three minutes left. What do you think, UCLA or NC State? Yeah, I'll be quick, UCLA. I think the team's played with a lot of fire that we didn't expect that they had this year. Uh, and I think that this ball game means a lot to them. After the rough couple of years they've had, I think that they get up for it, and I think they win this one. I, I like the Bears. All right, well, the, the last one on the big ledger, the guaranteed rate bowl, we've got West Virginia and Minnesota. The Gophers, a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I just think that there's something about P.J. Fleck when he gets extra practice, extra preparation. Um, love him or... or or leave him. He, the guy, knows how to prep his team for for bowl games and for games where he's got extra extra time. So I like the rowboaters in this one. I think the Gophers get it done. Uh, I'm not certain what West Virginia's future is going to be. Plus, uh, Kirk Shiraka was hired as the new offensive coordinator for Minnesota to start next year, but he is with the team during bowl preparation, and he spent all of 2021 as an offensive analyst with West Virginia. I think that can. Uh, be a little bit of an edge. So give me the Gophers here, minus four and a half. Wax? Yeah, West Virginia had enough problems scoring with Letty Brown playing um, without him in there. I just think it's going to be a real struggle for them. Um, I think Minnesota, I mean, Minnesota isn't any great shakes offensively, but I think that they're going to have the cohesion and Tanner Morgan's going to make enough plays and Minnesota's going to win this by about 10. All right, Sully, finish us off on West Virginia, Minnesota. What do you think? Yeah, I, I've in my confidence pool, I put uh, Minnesota as one of the most confident picks I had. You get a guy like PJ Fleck, and you give him, you know, this long of a time to prepare for a game. I don't care if they were playing a high school team or they're playing an NFL team. He's going to have those boys thinking it's it's the playoffs, you know. But to couple that with, you know, they're coming off a huge win over Wisconsin, maybe the win of the college football season, right? I mean, that's a game where no one gave them a shot, and he had those boys up ready to play. This is going to be an easy, uh, an easy pick at the betting window. Minnesota all day. I'll lay uh, five hundred on it. Wow, Sully's got seven hundred uh, bucks on on these play bucks, mind you, on on these bowl games here. All right, uh, we've got some other bowl games, but we will we'll post that on our Twitter feed. You can follow us at CFP CFB. I am Chappie. That's been Wax and Sully. This has been College Football Impact on the CFP podcast. Thanks for joining us. Have a great bowl week. Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you next week, everybody.